Welcome to Scrollin', a podcast about the Elder Scrolls Online. I'm Ket, and this is episode number 74. The Ascending Tide DLC is here. It, it has arrived. It's been uh, live for a week now. This is patch, versions, uh, patch version uh, 7.3.5, and it's the uh, first installment of the Legacy of the Bretons year-long adventure. So this is, you know, this is chapter one or whatever. I mean, it's not really a chapter, but so it's typical Q1 DLC. We get two dungeons: the Coral Eyrie, Eyrie, however you pronounce it, in Somerset, Shipwright's Regret, and Rivenspire. And you get all the usual stuff that you get with a dungeon DLC, including armor sets and cosmetics and, and things like that. So pretty typical Q1. I haven't done the dungeons yet because uh, there's been some like performance problems standing in the way of that, and uh, the queue isn't working properly, and it's actually just kind of difficult to play ESO right now. Um, so I haven't checked it out yet, but I probably will. I think there was a maintenance patch today. I haven't tried logging in today, but um, hopefully that stuff's been resolved and we can we can play like normal. Um, there's also some new PvP sets that are there that have been added as well. And I guess we can just expect that from now on, just for um all DLCs from now on. I'm pretty sure they've the past three or four have all had uh like PvP sets uh, added to the game, like Imperial City Monster sets and Rewards for the Worthy sets and that sort of th- that sort of thing. Um that's kind of cool. We talked about the sets on the last or a couple episodes ago, the ones that we found to be the most interesting. Um, I really am not super pumped about any of these new sets, but it's hard to say. Like, I remember when Wretched Vitality came out, we were kind of ho-hum on that one. You know, we weren't really excited about that set. Uh, but now it turns out it's actually one of my favorite sets because, um, because of this hybridization meta and all of that, it's actually a really, really good set. Uh, Grizzly Khan said the game went down for maintenance again today. Yeah, I saw that on the dev tracker like around one o'clock or something like that. Um, hopefully they get it. Hopefully they get it fixed. It's actually, man, it's it's a challenge. Like the, the hardest boss in ESO right now is just logging into the game. Another feature for this uh, update besides the uh, the dungeons and all that is uh, they've rolled out this uh, account-wide achievements thing. And this is kind of an interesting one because, you know, this isn't really a feature that people are like banging the door down about that are like, you know, nobody's like demanding account-wide achievements. The The strongest opinion I've heard about account-wide achievements before this was, that'd be kind of nice if we had that, you know. What's interesting about that is it seems like this has been rushed through because there's a, there's a number of problems. And a lot of these problems have had feedback given about them, you know, with ample time and nothing's really been done about it. So it kind of makes me feel like they felt like they had to push this through as quickly as possible. And I just don't understand why, because like I said, this isn't this isn't something that's like people are going to leave the game if they don't get account wide achievements uh, as quick as quickly as possible, you know. Um, so there's been some issues, like I know Grizzly, you were telling me about, um, like when you're running through towns and stuff, and you know how random NPCs will uh, just yell out at you, like, "Oh, hey, you're the hero that helped save Davin's Watch" or or whatever. Well, apparently those lines are triggered by your character's achievements, so. You'll be logged in with an alt who hasn't even done that quest at all, but still yet these NPCs are talking to you as though you have. You know, and that to me that's a real problem, especially if you're, you know, if you're here for the quests and you're here for the 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 role play and the immersion and all that. You know, that's a 
that's going to be a pretty big problem, I think. And there's some other stuff like uh, related to crafting achievements and different things like that. I haven't been reading up a lot on it because personally, I don't really pay a lot of attention to achievements, but that seems like really basic stuff that surely some developers brought up in the early stages of, of planning to roll this thing out. I can't imagine it wasn't brought up in some meetings at some point along the way, but still yet they, they rolled right on through with this. And I feel like this is easily a feature they could have just held on to until they're until it's ready you know like no one no one's going to be leaving the game if we don't get account wide achievements so that's a weird one um kind of the defining feature of this uh of this update i think is uh skill hybridization right so now we're in this situation where you can basically use any skill on any character and as long as you can sustain that resource cost, it's uh, it's going to work just fine, right? You're going to get the full potency out of that. So, like my Stam Sork's been using uh, Haunting Curse and Mage's Wrath um, on his like offensive loadout, and it's been working pretty well. It's like this brave new world of theory crafting, right? We have a whole bunch of new kind of build possibilities, and basically this kind of goes into their whole play how you want philosophy, uh, which I think is generally a good thing, and. This is probably the final step towards hybridization, right? Like, I can't really... I have a hard time imagining, like, what else they could do to, like, make hybrids a thing, right? I think we're kind of all all the way there. And, like I said, I think it's a good thing, but there there are some issues with it that I hope get addressed later on down the road. Probably not this patch. I mean, I think we're kind of set in stone, at least for the duration of this patch, how things are, but... uh Maybe with the next patch or the patch after that, we'll we'll see some additional balance adjustments. And it's basically just like what Davius predicted on the very last episode, um, which is nobody dies now. Healing is kind of through the roof. It already was very, very powerful. Healing was already too strong, I think, uh, before this patch hit. And now it's just, you know, unbelievable, you know, because we have all these um, healing abilities that were pretty much relegated to magicka builds, or at least they weren't very strong on stamina builds. Uh, and now they're extremely strong on stamina builds. You know, you have you have builds with 7,000, 8,000. Heck, some, some people even have 9,000 or more weapon or spell damage. And then all the all these healing abilities are scaling with that. So it's a situation now where if you can't burst somebody down in an instant, like one single global cooldown, then they're not going to die. Like the very following global cooldown, they're going to be filled all the way back up to health and you're going to have to start uh, working on them again. And so, like, the battlegrounds that I've been doing this past week, you know, I'll see players that typically get kill counts in the teens, and the best I've seen is maybe five or six kills, you know, per match. In these, like, primetime, you know, sweaty matches where it's a bunch of good players in there, um, that's about what I'm seeing. Five or six kills is considered, like, a very good match. And generally amongst the PvP community, I think the consensus seems to be, like, low time to kill is preferable, right? We we prefer it when it's just easier to kill people, even if it means that I myself am also easier to kill. That's that's what we want. You know, that's uh, fast-paced gameplay. Um, we don't want to just sit there and be chewing on someone's health bar and just draining our stamina, uh, trying to take them out, and then only for them to just heal right back up. Um, it's just not fun. It makes it feel like a, a slog. And, you know, everyone always complains about uh, tanky metas, and we've definitely had tanky metas, uh, and this seems to be probably the tankiest one yet, I would say. So I've been talking about my Stamsork, Tane, and how he's kind of getting geared up and getting ready for 
this new patch and you know i've I've worked uh, haunting curse and uh, endless fury onto his build as part of his combo and i've been really really looking forward to this patch coming out um, because with this this um hybrid um skill hybridization those abilities are going to be so much more powerful and he's going to be he's going to be so much more powerful because of that and you know i think he's probably my strongest character now my my strongest build my the one that has the most firepower and i think he was actually getting more kills before this patch went live. Grizzly Khan says PvP should always be a choice between survivability and damage. I do agree with that. And it's kind of the opposite now. Like one one gives you the other, right? If you're investing in offensive stats, well your healing abilities scale off of those too. So you're also investing in survivability at the same time. So anyway, with Stam Sork, uh even though he's so much more powerful now on paper, he's actually not performing as well as he was um, before this patch went live because healing is so much stronger. Uh, and if you know if his combo doesn't take someone out in that one kind of single instant, then it's just over. You know that that kill is just not going to happen. So that's kind of where I'm at on the the PvP meta right now, and in particular uh, battlegrounds. Um, the the one good thing that's re- that's happening right now, the really good thing is that build diversity is at an all time high. You're you are seeing a lot of creativity, people trying a lot of different things with their builds, and it's cool to see all these different builds and they're viable and and all of that. But this tanky meta is really putting a damper on things. The the performance issues we've been having, I would say, in a given play session. I spend about half my time waiting on load screens or at a guild trader waiting for, you know, if I'm just trying to buy a stack of potions, that takes forever for things to load in and and then for it to show up in my mail. If I need to go to another zone, really long load screen. Um, If I want to do a battleground, it's probably going to be a long load time. And then once I, or or a long queue time. And then once I get a battleground, guess what? Really long load screen to get in there. So just kind of really fighting the game uh just trying to play and i'm lucky if like like i said if half a play session is actually spent playing the game that's doing pretty well this past week this may not be the most positive i I guess people isn't can already tell this isn't probably going to be the most positive uh conversation i don't want to get into ranting i always try to avoid ranting but uh I do have some criticisms. I do. I, I'm not feeling super positive about this patch uh, at the moment. Um, so I'm just going to say my criticisms, and then we'll we'll move on from there. But that's basically it. A, a really a really tanky meta, probably the tankiest meta that I can remember. Some poor performance that is really getting in the way of actually just playing the game. Uh, also, this is a you know, a long dead horse. Uh, I'm basically kicking the skeleton of a of a long dead horse here, but um, we now have no deathmatch, or at least we don't have a dedicated deathmatch queue, right? It's a it's a random only queue, so deathmatch is in there, but you know, you're lucky if you get one in ten matches as a deathmatch. Davius isn't here, but I think I can speak on behalf of him for this. Like me and Davius both, and and really all of our friends in the game who are into battlegrounds, we're in a whole entire guild of players who only want to play battlegrounds, and we're all just interested in deathmatch. None of the other objective modes are interesting to us at all, uh, and now we can't have deathmatch. And sure, we can go into a flag game, 
or a land grab game and just play deathmatch anyway. But the problem with that, and we've seen this before when we had the random queue only, is everybody's mad at each other because you have these two camps of players. You have people like us who just want to do deathmatch, and then you have people who really do want to focus the objective. And if you want to focus the objective and win the match that way, then the best thing a lot of the time is to avoid fights, is to run away from fights. And so you end up on on teams with people that are kind of on two different sides of things, are not on the same page, nobody can agree how to go about playing the match. Everybody's mad at each other. You see match after match after match, people arguing in the group chat. And even outside of the game, you go to the official forums, you go to the subreddit, you see pages and pages and pages of people arguing about this very thing. Um, that's why it's it's so mind-blowing to me that they've decided to go back to this random-only queue because we've clearly seen how toxic of an environment that this results in. And that's the main thing. I mean, I can maybe get over the fact that I can't play Deathmatch and I'll just go and just kill people anyway and I'll have my fun that way. But it's the negativity in the environment that really turns me off. You know, I'll play I'll play some Battlegrounds and when it's over, I don't feel good. I don't feel like I was just having a good time because I was just dealing with all of this negativity and people arguing the entire time, even if I performed really well. So that's turning me off. And on top of that, there's not much on the horizon. You know, I feel like I, I could maybe I can maybe get past that. I could maybe kind of rise above that and, and find fun anyway if I knew that there was something coming with this next expansion um, that was going to be exciting. But we already know what we're getting, right? We're getting a card game and we're getting two new companions. And I'm sure there are, there's plenty of people who are going to be totally happy with that and have fun with that. But you know, this is my podcast, so I'm talking about what I'm interested in. Those things do not excite me at all, you know, especially compared to things we've gotten in the past. You know, we've gotten new classes in the past, new uh, combat-relevant skill lines. Battlegrounds were introduced with Morrowind, you know, like major, major things. And this is three years in a row. This this expansion will be three years in, in a row of what I would consider to be uh, pretty weak expansions as far as what's being offered in that regard. And I'm sure the the content itself that's coming out, I mean, the the, the Breton-focused um, chapter, I'm sure that'll be cool and fun and interesting, but if if it follows the trend of all the other expansions that have come out since Morrowind, basically since they've been doing this um, annual paid expansion thing, um, this will probably be the smallest one yet, right? They've, they've all, every single one has been smaller than the last, with the same price tag, of course. So I think... It's totally reasonable to expect this to be the uh, smallest expansion that we've gotten since they've started doing these annual paid expansions. And then even if it's great quality, that's great. But, you know, if we're not getting a class, we're not getting a skill line and the smallest expansion yet, and on, on the tail of three years in a row of kind of weak offerings, uh, chapter-wise, there's just not, for me personally, there's just not an, a lot keeping me really excited when I have to get past this tanky meta, the performance issues, the fact that I can't play deathmatch, and there's not much to look forward to, you know, it's pretty tough to, to just muster that enthusiasm. Grizzlycon says three years elsewhere. No, elsewhere, elsewhere was a great expansion, but this year is the third 
I'm counting this year as the third year, right? So two years ago, we got Antiquities with uh, with Greymore. Last year, we got the Companions. This this being the third year with the card game and Companions. And Antiquities was great, but I feel like on its own, it's nothing compared to getting a new class or, you know, I feel like it should have been Antiquities and something else. So there's just a lot kind of holding me back there. And on top of all that, this is also the 74th episode of the Scrolling Podcast. This is 74 conversations about the same video game, you know, every two weeks. And even in the best of times, it's difficult. It's a, it's a challenge to keep coming up with interesting uh, things to talk about every single episode when we're just talking about this one video, video game every single time. You know, even when we are actually feeling really enthusiastic about it, it's still a challenge even in those times. And especially in times like this, it's like, I don't want to just record a bunch of episodes where I'm just complaining. You know, that's that's not fun for me. That's not fun to listen to. The whole reason we started doing this podcast in the first place is because of that enthusiasm, because of these positive feelings. And if it, if it ever gets to a point where all I want to do is complain, then, you know, I don't want to be doing a podcast at that point. Um, so I don't want to stop doing a podcast. So I think it is maybe time for the show to evolve a little bit and maybe, um, open ourselves up to, to new possibilities. And so I'm making an announcement right here. This is no longer scrolling a podcast about the Elder Scrolls online. This is scrolling a podcast primarily about the Elder Scrolls online. so still very much, you know, an Elder Scrolls focused game. That ESO is our kind of central hub. That's where our friends are. That's where we go to just kind of socialize even when we're not really playing anything. That's just kind of that's just that's home base. That's how we just, just we've described it before is ESO's home base. And you know, if there are times when we're feeling really great about ESO and we have an hour or more worth of stuff to to say about ESO, then um then great, we'll do that. But you know, if we only have maybe 15 minutes or so of of positive things to say about e- ESO, then we'll do that, and then we'll allow ourselves to um, to talk about other things that we are feeling good about. That way, we're avoiding a situation where all we do is complain. Like in a situation like this, like this episode here, I have a I have a pretty hard time coming up with a lot of positive things to say, um, but I do have a lot of positive things to say about other things. So we're going to give this a try. I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear people's feedback at scrollingpodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you have any ideas about what sorts of things we should talk about, or if you think this is a good idea or a bad idea or whatever, I definitely want to hear feedback about it. Uh, we're just going to give it a try. We're going to experiment, and and who knows? Grizzly Khan says, where were you when Ket ruined scrolling? <laughs> oh, you're breaking my heart, man. <laughs> this is something uh, – I was hesitant on this, but – I've been thinking about it for a long time. Back when I when I played uh, Cyberpunk 2077, I was really digging that game, and I was kind of wanting to talk about that. You know, it was on my mind quite a bit. Uh, but I was like, well, there's a podcast about ESO, so I don't want to encroach on that too much. But it's kind of been in the in the back of my mind ever since then. And you know, for the past few weeks, I've been trying to like think of like, what are we going to be talking about on the next scrolling episode? And what are some things I'm feeling really good about? Some things I'm feeling excited about that I want to talk about. And I've been grasping 
and it's just not there. You know, and I'm sure it will be later. I'm sure there will come a time when when that enthusiasm will return. Zoss is going to have to to do something, I think, to to reignite that enthusiasm. But I I'm I'm holding out hope that that will happen. Um. So anyway, that's just where we're at. Scrolling podcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. So all of that is just a basically just a really long way uh, for me to say that. I want to talk about Elden Ring. <laughs> uh, that's the game that I am feeling enthusiastic about. That I that I'm, you know, that I can't stop thinking about, and you know, I'm like losing sleep at night because I'm thinking of build ideas and I'm reliving adventures that I've had, and I'm thinking of what I need to do the next time I play uh, to to kind of continue on the journey there. And um, it's just a it's a very very good video game. It's a game that has grabbed me in a way that. Probably the last game that really grabbed me this way was Elder Scrolls Online that has has given me that kind of enthusiasm. And I'm having a similar moment with, with Elden Ring that I had with ESO where I'm kind of realizing, like, I'm probably going to be playing this game for a while. You know, I'm, I'm about 155 hours in right now, level 133, I think, um, and really no end in sight. I mean, I think I am near the end of the game, like, I'm... If anyone listening has been playing the game, I'm I just made it to the Halig tree, and uh, and also I I think the next big like story boss I need to defeat is the fire giant, uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty close to the the very end of the game at that point. Uh, but I've kind of pumped the brakes a little bit since I'm since I'm there. I'm pretty sure when I beat the fire giant, the world state changes a little bit, and certain quests and stuff for will no longer be available. So. I've kind of stopped right there and I'm going back to kind of re-explore the older zones and I'm finding lots of stuff that I missed the first time through. But even after I complete the game, there's New Game Plus, um, there's a bunch of new characters and new types of builds I want to try, uh, there's PvP to get into. Uh, I really do feel like this is a game that um, a person can play indefinitely. And, you know, multiplayer is a... I think I said on the last episode, multiplayer is a much bigger aspect than I was expecting it to be. I mean, it is essentially a single-player game, but um, multiplayer is very, very present. And you can you can co-op bosses, you can take on dungeons together, you can do PvP, um, all that stuff. So I think the content is there, the, the social element is there, and, and like I said, I, I think it'll probably be something I continue playing for quite a while. I've been thinking about this warm reception that this game has gotten, you know, like reviewers and people got their hands on this game like a week early, a week before everyone else did. And you started seeing all these reviews come out like 10 out of 10 best game ever made, you know, like these really, really grand statements uh, being made about the game. And um, it's just got me thinking a lot about why it's been so well received when really it is just kind of a video game. It's a very good video game, but what, what's making it stand apart. And I think a lot of it is just a matter of good marketing. Um, You know, FromSoft hasn't really tried to set any kind of expectations here. You know, like they've put out a few cinematic trailers, but there hasn't really been any messaging other than just like, hey, this is our new game. It's basically open world Dark Souls. We think you should try it. You know, and that's, that's kind of been it. And when you think about like the comparison I think of is Cyberpunk 2077 by CD Projekt Red. That's basically the opposite, where 
you know, years before that game came out, they were up on like the E3 stage and they were tweeting and doing all this stuff, just building up this hype, setting these huge expectations, promising that this was going to be the next revolution in gaming. You've never seen anything like it. It's totally going to change the ball game for everybody. Yeah, Grizzly Khan says they actively tried to hide how big the game is, talking about Elden Ring, and it took everybody by surprise. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's they've kind of taken the opposite strategy uh, from Soft has when, like, rather than trying to build up everyone's expectations, they're, they're actually playing things down and just letting you uncover those things. And, uh, yeah, like what I was saying with uh, CD Projekt Red, you know, they were building, they were building up Cyberpunk to be just like something like you've never seen before and just get ready because it's going to blow your mind. And then it's a shame because I thought Cyberpunk was a very good video game. But it was just a video game, you know, like that game came out and we had all these expectations built up and then you get it in your hands and, you know, it's an open world action RPG. It's, it's a really good one. It's a really well made one, but it's really not anything more than that. Um, and it was hard to kind of judge that game based on what it was because you had all these expectations set for you, whereas FromSoft with Elden Ring there were no expectations, you know, like people just got this, their game in their hands and they're just taking it on its face value for what it is. And this game too is just a video game. You know, it's not, it's, it's not doing anything that other games haven't done before. It's not revolutionizing things. It's just a very well-made game, but nobody was expecting it to be anything more than that, right? There were no expectations being set at all. And so we can't, we can just take it for what it is and, and judge it based on those merits. So really, I think, other than just being a really well-made game, it's a, it's just it's a product of good marketing. I think the warm reception is largely a product of good marketing and not setting expectations that are you know ridiculous. I have been getting into the theory crafting a little bit. I think I'm I'm still learning, um, but I'm starting to kind of uh, wrap my head around what makes a build and how how to make a good build and, and the things that are important, the things that are not so important, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm still learning, so I'm sure these things will continue to evolve. But um, I thought I would just talk about this a little bit. So from what I can tell, um, kind of the, the central core of a, of a build is more than anything, it's the specific weapon or weapons that you're using, the special abilities that are uh, attached to those weapons, and then your stats. Like what stats that you uh, are you putting points into? Uh, Khan says, I think the Elden Ring is a great example of how to spend your earned goodwill in the best way possible. People got excited for Elden Ring because they knew that the other games were good and then it was way better than expected. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And back to CD Projekt Red, is that's an example of goodwill squandered, right? Like, Witcher 3 was universally beloved. Everyone loved that game. Uh, and basically... It seemed like CD Projekt Red could almost do no wrong after that point, but of course, <laughs> turns out they can. But yeah, if they had just kept quiet, you know, and just put out Cyberpunk 2077 without making all these big claims, I think that uh, game would have been much better received. I think maybe even on the level of Witcher 3, you know, for as, as beloved as that game was, I thought, like I said, I thought Cyberpunk was a great game, and it, it was just a, a victim of bad expectations. So anyway, specific weapon uh, that you're using, the abilities that are attached to that weapon, and what are your stats? And when I say specific weapon, I mean like 
the exact weapon. Like, what's the name of that weapon? Like, maybe you're using a great sword, but you know there are like twenty great swords, and they're all different. They have different sizes and shapes and weights. They have different swing speeds, different attack animations. They have different special abilities. So the the specific weapon that you're using means quite a bit. Um, and then yeah, the special abilities and your stats, and that's kind of I would say seventy five to eighty percent of your build right there. And then there's other things like armor. Um, and armor is definitely something that you need to consider, certainly, but it's not like ESO. Like in ESO, your armor kind of is your build in a lot of ways, right? It's it's largely going to determine how the build plays, uh, how effective it is, what the, what the theme is, and, and just overall what kind of build it is. Um, and Elden Ring, it's just kind of a supplementary thing. And from what I can tell, the main things to keep in mind with armor is um, you're trying to balance basically good defensive stats with your equipment load. So um, you can have a, a light, medium, or heavy equipment load, and um, that just affects how good you are at dodging attacks. And the um, general advice is you want to avoid a heavy equipment load because basically you are you can barely dodge anything at all at that point. And heavier armor does make you tankier, but you know, you're fighting these bosses that are like smashing you with a hammer the size of a building, you know, you're just going to crumple up like a tin can no matter what. It doesn't matter how tanky you are. You really do have to be able to dodge things. So generally most people shoot for a medium equipment load. I've actually been shooting for a light equipment load. And for me, if I'm shooting for a light equipment load, in my mind, I'm kind of already deciding that defensive stats don't matter. Like, I'm not really paying attention to that. So, really, as far as armor goes, the, the main things I'm keeping in mind is what looks cool, like what's the fashion, uh, and and then keeping under that, that light equipment load threshold. And that's really all I'm worried about. Because uh, there is no transmog. Your character, like whatever you're wearing, that's what you look like. And there is a lot of really, really cool-looking stuff. Um, and like I said, since I... Since I'm not really worrying about defensive stats, I can just go with whatever looks cool and gives me a light equipment load, and I'm good to go. My actual build uh, is basically Moonveil. Moonveil is my build. Um, if anyone has been playing this game, you're probably very aware of the Moonveil katana. It's um, hugely popular. A lot of people use it. I know a lot of people kind of roll their eyes like, oh, another Moonveil build. Okay, cool. But... You know, I wasn't really seeking this thing out, and I didn't really have a build or any idea of like what I wanted my build to be. I was just kind of exploring, and I just happened to kill a boss that dropped this weapon. Um, and as soon as I saw it and, and tried it out, everything kind of snapped into focus. And it was like, I see now what I must do. I, I see what my build is now. Uh, and so I kind of got rid of my hodgepodge sort of quote-unquote build that I had at that point. Uh, and it all came... It all became kind of about making this moon veil as good as it can possibly be. Uh, moon veil is a katana. It has these, this really nice special attack that has like a, a nice AOE. It hits really hard. It has really long range. It looks super duper cool. Um, and plus even like just the regular attacks, they, they hit really fast. Uh, they do good damage. They cause bleed buildup. So um, all in all, it's just a really, really good weapon. It's popular for a reason, right? Um, so that's my main hand weapon. I'm using the Carrion Knight's shield in my uh, offhand, and I think the Carrion Knight's shield is kind of a sleeper item, 
Um, it's I think it's quite a bit better than what it appears at, uh, at first glance. So it's a medium shield, and it gives you 100% physical damage mitigation. And that by itself is nothing special. There's a, there's a lot of shields that give you that. But this one is a lot lighter weight than the others. Um, so it helps me stay under that um, light equipment load threshold uh, while still giving me that 100% um, physical damage block. So I have basically the best possible block I can have and the best possible dodge I can have at the same time. I think that's really the value of the Carrion Knight's shield there is it helps you kind of achieve that. And so I kind of have both bases covered in, in terms of defense. Um, you know, I can dodge pretty much anything in the few times when I can't really dodge. Um, or like against enemies like the Crucible Knight where like uh, parrying and guard countering is very, very effective. Um, you know, I have no problem with that either. And then I do have a backup weapon. If I if I want to, I can basically weapon swap my Moon Veil for um, a magic staff if I just want to hang back and pew pew from afar and just do a, a ranged fight. I do have that option. Um, and then the throwing daggers. I've, I'm, I'm recently becoming all about the throwing daggers. I just buy a huge stack of these things every time I visit a merchant. Uh, they're very, very cheap. You can throw them really rapidly. They do decent damage. They can stagger. And uh, you can just keep them in a quick slot. You know, you don't have to weapon swap or anything like that. You just, you, you hit X and you're throwing daggers. So I use that in boss fights quite a bit. Like if, a, if I'm in melee range with the katana and then the boss starts winding up for some big like AOE chain combo attack sort of thing, I can back up, get out of the way, just let him do his thing. And that whole time I'm just tossing daggers at him. Uh, and that could stagger him out of that uh, out of that attack, and at the very least, I'm just keeping up that pressure and doing that damage. It's also really nice, like for those times when the boss just barely has a sliver of health left, and you just want it, you just want him to die quickly before he kills you. You can just kind of hang back and toss those daggers at him, and a lot of times that'll that'll do the trick. Um, talismans. I'm using the arsenal charm to increase my max equip load. Uh, Erd Tree's favor increases my health, stamina, and max equip load, so it's all about that equip load. I'm using Radagon's Scar Seal, which raises basically all of my stats, but also increases my damage taken. I don't find that the increased damage taken is very significant, especially since my whole strategy is to avoid all damage, basically. You know, I'm dodging and 100% and blocking basically everything that comes at me, ideally, so I don't really care about that increased damage taken. Uh, and then the Carrion Filigreed Crest, which lowers um, magic consumption by skills. That one's really nice because uh, I'm not really investing in a big magic pool. I think I've put like maybe 20 points, or I've gotten my, I've gotten my mind up to 20, uh, and I'm not really going any further than that. But because of this talisman, I can still spam uh, my special attacks plenty. Like I, I never run out of magicka. And then my stats, I'm level 133 right now. Um, my stats may be a little bit unusual, but it's working well for me. I have 32 in Vigor, which is health, uh, 50 in Endurance, which is Stamina, uh, 32 Dexterity, and 41 Intelligence. Um, and I have I just put the, the base amount for the Moon Veil. It requires uh, 12 Strength, so I put 12 into Strength just so I could use the Moon Veil. Um, 50 Endurance, I know a lot of people are going to hear that and think, like, that's a lot. That's too much Endurance. But... Endurance uh, affects your equipment load, and <laughs> uh, having that light equipment load, uh, I'm, I'm really focusing on that. I really want that to be a thing, um, and it feels really good. I've really been enjoying it, plus it just gives me a whole bunch of stamina. I mean, I can I can spam my attacks, I can spam roll dodge, I can sprint as much as I want to, 
um, stamina is really just kind of a non-issue. So for me, it seems to be worth it. Um, you know, that, that is points that I could be putting into like more offensive stats so I could do more damage, um, or, or something like that. But I like 50 in endurance. It's feeling pretty good to me. So anyway, it feels kind of weird to do a theory craft discussion, uh, about <laughs> another game on the scrolling podcast, but I don't know. I was kind of thinking like, that's that's kind of how we talk about ESO. That's the lens through which we sort of see things. It, it's all about the builds. That's what we find interesting. So I don't know, I'm kind of thinking if if we're talking about other games and exploring other things, we might kind of take a similar approach to those things. And I've talked to, I know there's quite a few people that, um, that listen to the show that have also been playing Elden Ring. So hopefully that won't be completely lost on people. Scrollingpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. I also have a few thoughts about the uh, difficulty of this game. This is something that always comes up with uh, FromSoft games, is they're difficult. There is no uh, difficulty settings in any menus anywhere. You can't put it on easy. You just have to take the game for what it is, and that's just that's just it. Um, I have become convinced that the difficulty is central to the experience. It is absolutely crucial, and I, I understand why they don't want to put uh, an easy mode or anything like that, because there have been times that, like, I'm, I'm the kind of player, if I start getting frustrated and I'm not having a good time, I absolutely will put it into easy mode, just get past this boss, and then go back to normal and continue on. I, I do that all the time in games. I have no, you know, pride about that or, or whatever. And there have definitely been times in this game that I would have done that if I had the option. But since I didn't have that option and I wanted to continue with the game, I'm I'm, I'm so intrigued by this game, I don't want this silly boss fight to stop me from progressing. So I'll either bounce off of that boss fight and just go find some easier things to do. And that on its own is actually pretty interesting because I find that they use the the difficulty in very clever ways to kind of guide you through the game because there are no quest markers. There's not much really telling you where you should be going and what you should be doing. The game is very vague in that way, but I I find that if you kind of follow the difficulty. You'll kind of bump up against these things that maybe you're not ready for. It's too much of a challenge or whatever. So you'll bounce off of that and you'll go bump into something else. Maybe that's too difficult too. You know, so you'll bounce away from that and eventually you'll kind of bounce around until you find something that you can do, that you can get through. And that just so happens to be story-wise probably where you need to be going. So they it's interesting how they use that difficulty to kind of funnel you where you're supposed to be going uh, just sort of naturally. I think that's really neat. And like I was saying about the boss fights, there are times when, you know, I'll get frustrated by a boss. I can't get past this dude. So I'll just say, forget him for now. I'm going to go find some other stuff to do. I'll come back to him a little while later. Still can't get past him. He's still giving me trouble. Um, so <laughs> there've been a couple of times when I've uh, just resorted to Google and I'll pull up Google and, and I'll say like, how to cheese such and such boss. And I'll find some build or some strategy or whatever that makes that boss fight a lot easier. But the thing is, I have to go and play the game to do that, right? Like, I have to go complete some quest to get this special ability. And I have to go and clear this cave and beat the boss at the end to get this special weapon and and all these things. I have to go and, like, do things in the game. And after hours of gameplay, I'm actually prepared and ready to go to this boss and quote unquote cheese the boss you know but at that point yeah the boss is a lot easier and 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 in in a couple of cases it's been like way 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 easier like not even hard at all 
but it's still satisfying because the boss hasn't changed at all. I've changed, you know, and it feels, it doesn't feel like I'm necessarily cheesing the boss. It's, I'm, I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor. You know, I've put in the time, I've made the preparations, uh, and now I'm getting past this boss because of that. And to me, that's, that's really rewarding. And now there's plenty of players that they don't like doing that and they just want to learn the attack patterns. They just want to go toe to toe with the boss and not cheese anything. And just, it's them and their sword and that's it. And you know, that's, that's totally an option. Uh, but for me, I'm not super great at these games. I'm getting better. I think I probably will get to that point eventually, but for right now, I'm just trying to get through this thing. And, you know, it's kind of made me realize that there is an easy mode or there are multiple easy modes in this game, but it requires you to do something to make it easier. You can't just go flip it in a menu. And and if you could, that would that wouldn't be as satisfying of an experience, you know? Like if I could just put it into easy mode and then just blast my way through that boss and then it's over, it wouldn't feel nearly as cool as what I'm talking about here, where I had to go and spend all these hours preparing and finding these things and then going back to the boss, and it's still the same boss that it's always been, um, but this time I can get through it. I really like that. Uh, one particular boss that uh, I fought recently that I really enjoyed is one of the Everjail bosses, uh, the Black Knife Ringleader Tish. Uh, really cool boss. Really, most of the Everjails I haven't found to be all that challenging. Like the the Crucible Knights, I know I've seen a lot of people complain about their Crucible Knights, but for some reason, just to me, my particular way that I play, I have not found the Crucible Knights to be all that challenging. Um, but the Black Knife Ringleader Tish <laughs> was extremely challenging to me. And I actually bounced off of her a couple of times. Um, but then I made my way back to her and I, and I said to myself, all right, I'm going to try her five times. And after that, if I still haven't beat her, we'll try again some other time. So I did it five times. On that fifth time, I got her down to like maybe 5% health. She was almost dead. Uh, but then she got me uh, with one of her, you know, BS attacks that she has. Uh, so I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll try it a sixth time. One more, one more time. Um, so kind of the same thing. I got her pretty low, but then she she got me with one of these attacks that I wasn't expecting. But this time was different because halfway through that fight, it clicked, and I and I had this boss totally figured out by that point, you know. And it was it was already too late because I was already missing a lot of health, and she was kind of uh, pressuring me and stuff like that. But I knew in my mind, okay. I'll do one more after this, and then she's toast. Um, and and then that's exactly what happened. I, I fought her one more time, and it's like all of a sudden it wasn't even hard. It wasn't even challenging at all. Uh, and I just kind of abused her. You know, I kind of bullied her around and, uh, until she was dead. And um, I've seen people, or I've heard people... Um, describe boss fights like that, where it, it it seems impossible at first, but then by the time you've learned that boss, that, that last time where you actually beat them, it doesn't even seem hard at all. You're just kind of going through the motions. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, I had a very safe sort of uh, strategy that I figured out for her. Basically, um, I was using the Moon Veil, of course, and um, anytime she would sprint straight at me, like with both feet on the ground, she was she would kind of try to charge at me and do an attack. I would just kind of wait, and uh, as soon as she got close enough, I would do the the horizontal slash uh, special attack that you can do with the Moon Veil. And that would stun her out of whatever she was about to do and do pretty good damage as well. Uh, and then I could do like one more regular R1 attack and then 
basically she would jump back out of the way and we would reset the fight. And I basically just did that every single time. And I think um, what's important uh, to, if you're going to, you know, try that strategy is make sure that what, what I was doing is just evading, evading, evading. I would just keep distance. I would dodge. I would run away. I would not let her get close to me at all until both of her feet were on the ground and she was running straight towards me. And then I would sit and wait and do that, that horizontal slash. Any other time, if she flies up in the air, I run away as far as I can because she's about to do this big AOE one-shot attack. If she's flying straight towards me, it kind of looks like she's running, but if you look closely, she's actually gliding across the ground and kind of has a hand outreach towards you. That's going to be a really nasty grab attack, so just avoid that. I would just evade and avoid the entire time until she had both feet on the ground running straight at me. That's when I would uh, use that horizontal slash to knock her out of that and then do one more hit. Uh, and about one out of every three or four times, um, her poise would break and she would go into that prone position where I could do a, a critical attack. And I just beat her that way. So um, a pretty safe strategy. I'm sure there's more efficient, you know, flashier, way, flashier ways to beat her, but that's what worked for me. So anyway, I think that's about all I have to say about Elden Ring. So how long did I spend talking about ESO versus how long did I spend talking about Elden Ring? Maybe about equal, but uh, most of the ESO stuff was kind of uh, negative. So I do apologize. But like I said, I I don't have any plans to just for this to be an ESO bash cast. Okay, like uh, if we don't have things like positive things to say, I think for the most part, we'll just not will not say much in the, in that case, you know, and we'll just focus on the, on the good things that we do have to say. And, and if it's like a, an episode like this one where, you know, I don't feel like I have a lot of good things to say, maybe we'll just kind of state our piece about the criticisms that we have or just whatever thoughts we do have, and then just move on to whatever we are feeling good about. Um, and like I said, it's something I've been thinking about for a while. I've been wanting to evolve this show. Even when I first started doing this uh, podcast, you know, I, I wondered from the very beginning, like, how many episodes can I do about this one single video game? I guess we'll just, we'll try it and see. Um, 74, I think, is quite a bit more than <laughs> what I was expecting in the beginning. And, I you know, it's going to keep going. And hopefully, we, you know, we kind of already know what the content schedule is for this year. I feel like this year's kind of a wash. <laughs> but uh, I'm really hoping next year um Zoss kind of steps it up. I feel like I'm not the only one who needs to be dazzled in order to to kind of rekindle that flame. Um so I'm I'm really hoping that next year we don't get another you know pandemic kind of excuse kind of thing like we've gotten the last couple of years. Uh, I think you know we've all had time to adapt. This is the world we live in now and uh, other studios are putting out content just fine. So that's what I'm hoping for. Um, anyway, I guess that's about all I have to talk about here. Um, shout out to Grizzly Khan for being here in the chat and making me feel like I'm not just literally talking to myself. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Grizzly Khan. Um, if you would like to send us an email, scrollinpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Any suggestions for the show, questions, uh, things you'd like to hear us talk about, just say hello, tell a joke, really, anything you like, scrollinpodcast at gmail.com. 
we do have a guild uh, in uh, in ESO. If you're interested, send me an email, scrollingpodcast at gmail.com. It's called Stoons Goons. Uh, it is the best named guild uh, in the game. Uh, prove me wrong. And if your guild roster is full, and you, but you want to be a part of the, the community anyway, uh, scrollingpodcast at gmail.com uh, and just ask to be uh, invited to the Discord. And that's really where the action happens anyway. Um, that's where kind of all of our conversations happen and how we organize and all that sort of stuff. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're in the Discord, you're part of the goons. So uh, scrollingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll get you in there. Anyway, I think that is the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Davius will be back next time. We will see you then.